The Money Show. The Africa Business Report. The Africa Business Focus is brought to you by the South African Airways. And now let's fly around the continent with uh, Diana Games, Chief Executive at Africa at Work. Diana, welcome to the show. Hopefully you're not sitting in the dark. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's all very bright where I am now. Thanks, Mateo. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. This week, though, uh, just tell, tell us about another South African company set to leave Nigeria. Well, um, well, the the, uh, Southern Sun Ekoi Hotel, which is part of the Southern Sun Group out of South Africa, has sold its hotel or is busy selling its hotel in Lagos um, called the Southern Sun Ekoi Hotel. It's quite a landmark, actually, in the the city. And um, they are actually uh, selling it to a Qatar-based PE fund, Quesada Albatross Holdings. Um, and uh, they have a majority stake. Southern Sun has a majority stake of more than 75%, which is what they are selling. And unfortunately, um, then they will be, their brand will be leaving, leaving the building, as it were. Um, and there's a lot of speculation that Accor, the Accor Hotel Group, which is French, is part of the Casada portfolio and they, it will be renamed an uh, Accor, but that's not been finalized yet. Um, but it is the end of an era. I actually stayed there in 2009 when it opened its doors. It wasn't originally a hotel in Lagos, a very old hotel in Lagos, and yeah. it was rebuilt entirely and became in Southern Sun took on the the contract, and then they then they bought a stake in it later. And um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a home from home for me in in Lagos, and I think for many other South Africans as well as many other people. Um, but actually, what's interesting is is the reason for the, for them selling the hotel. The hotel is actually doing better now than it even did before COVID. But the group is looking for revenues to 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 support its uh, Southern African portfolio, um, which has really battled through the COVID period. And they are selling a well-performing hotel to in order to fund the less perform lesser performing hotels in the region. So that's an interesting development. I think these are the kind of decisions that business leaders have to make in this in this kind of wild ride of a world we're living in at the moment. Yeah, a bittersweet decision for them, but definitely going out at a time that they're doing well, which is always great. Uh, let's look at Bait Bridge now and uh, Zimbabwe and South Africa's busiest port of entry being identified as the country's corruption hotspot. Well, you know, it's not a new idea that that there's a lot of corruption at Bait Bridge. Um, it is the absolute kind of choke point, if you like, um, as well as a gateway um, of for trade from South Africa and from the ports in South Africa into the region. So, you know, there's huge congestion. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the systems are not up to scratch. The, you know, there's just a, a lot of problems there. So whenever there's a problem, there's kind of an opportunity for corruption. Um, it's a kind of choke point people need to get through or they think that um, if it's badly run, there's an opportunity to pay money to get your stuff through there. So and none of this comes as a surprise. And these are by no means the first uh, uh, kind of arrests that have happened. But in this case, what's happened is it's the Zimbabwe side. Um, the Zimbabwe Revenue Authority said it's, it has uh, investigating some of its, um, its offices for building mansions in Harare, uh, but being unable to account for where they got the funds. Um, and they, they, you know, they reckon on, in their day job, they, they, they were not able to afford the kind of assets that they have. And this is part of a lifestyle audit. For that has now been extended for other officials working at the border crossing. 
Um, so, so as I say, this, this really highlights the dysfunction. That dysfunction breeds corruption. Um, if some, something is not well run, if the processes and systems are not in place or not being well executed, it really does open the, the opportunity for this kind of thing. And what you get there, of course, not only um, people crossing that border illegally, as we've seen from the, the, you know, the inflows into South Africa across that border, but also, you know, goods moving across the border. Um, so there's a lot of duties not being paid. A lot of money is being lost to governments. And you also, there's another more kind of sinister element to that, I guess. And that is that you get a lot of, uh, uh crime. Well, I suppose that is crime, but, but, um, you know, like, like a smuggling of gold, of drugs, that kind of thing through, through these kind of borders, because it's easy to disguise things because it's so busy, but also because, um, you can pay bribes and get things through. So I think the problem exists on both sides of that border. Um, and so, and there have been arrests on the South African side over time. If you look it up, you'll see that. But it's just really, it's a problematic border because it is so busy and yet it is so important to, um, to South Africa yeah. and also trade into, you know, from the region into South Africa and out again. So, you know, it's something that really, really has to be addressed. And of course, many years later, we are saying that and everybody says, well, we're doing this, we're doing that. And yet the problem continues. So, Maybe one day it'll be sorted out. Possibly not in my lifetime. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm thinking there should be a joint operation between Zimbabwe and South Africa if there hasn't been one already. Um, just to deal, you know, with the security risks. And of course, you're saying there are tax losses that happen at the border with, uh, you know, border authorities lining their pockets and building mansions, uh, for good money. So if maybe there was a joint operation or a sting operation between Zimbabwe and South Africa, just to try and nip everything in the bud there in the border, it would be a bit better. I think that, I think there have been attempts to do that, um, in the past. And, and there's a lot of investment going into infrastructure. And so on. But I think, you know, the hard infrastructure is one thing. The soft infrastructure is another issue. And whenever, as I say, once you get a choke point, you, you get opportunity and, and not, you know, not for illicit behavior, if you like. And I think, um, yeah, I guess it's just that the countries have to really pay much more attention to this on both sides and absolutely in, in, in conjunction with each other. It does need to be a, a joint operation. But, um, you know, it's a complicated thing and there's been a lot of talk of making that a one-stop yeah. border post. Whether that will solve the problems, I don't know. I'm not sure where that is right now, that project. But, um, you know, it's not the only, and we talk a lot about the African free trade area. Here's a clear example of, of the kind of problems that we face in unlocking trade in Africa. It's easy to talk about, you know, these glorious things that should happen, but immediately right here, you know, we have a, we have a problem. And as I say, it's not only on the Zimbabwe side. It's just interesting that they are now doing these lifestyle audits on their, um, in, in Zimbabwe and saying, well, there's no way you can afford that mansion. So let's have a proper look at your books yeah. kind of thing. So anyway, it's a start. Well, you know, so let's see. Let's see what happens. And just quickly, uh, Diana, two former French colonies joining another colonizer in Britain. What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, it's not entirely clear, but you know, the Commonwealth is, has always been a kind of a strange beast because it's rooted in colonialism, um, Brit the British Empire kind of building, um, in Africa and of course across the world. And, um, but now it seems to just when people were kind of saying these kind of analysts are saying, well, it's past its sell by date, you know, the Commonwealth is not going to last. We see the Commonwealth meeting last week. Um, it's sort of bigger than ever. They have, I don't know, 50, I can't remember now, 54, 55, um, members among 
whom are, are in Rwanda, which was originally said that uh, they applied and they said, no, you've got too many human rights violations. You can't yeah. join. And that was about a decade ago. And yet here is Rwanda actually hosting the event. And at this event, you have Togo and Gabon, both French, former French colonies, um, uh, applying for and joining the organization, neither of which are particularly kind of democratic. Both of them have families, you know, the father and son kind of presidencies, if you like. Um, and also what was interesting at this meeting is Zimbabwe, which you might remember, um, Robert Mugabe, um, Zimbabwe was suspended in 2002 over electoral and, and human rights violations yeah. under the ZANU-PF, under the Mugabe government. And, um, and they suspended um, the Zimbabwe and then eventually Robert Mugabe pulled Zimbabwe out of the, of the Commonwealth. And 18 years later, the, the, the Zimbabwe team was in Rwanda actually lobbying for readmission. They really want to go back in. But I think the sure. issue is the current president is also accused of all kinds of human rights violations. So that's, they, that's rather I'm not sure where that is. Diana. Yeah, and they are a very clearly a British, a former British colony. So yeah. Anyway, it's interesting. It's it's just a, something that we thought was was uh, was on its deathbed has actually seemed to be really reinvigorated. Still very alive, isn't it? <laughs> that was yeah. our Diana it, Games Chief Executive at Africa at Work giving us our Africa business focus this week.